on another Lord's Day. Um, before we get into our call to worship, I do have a few announcements for us this morning. Um, let's um, continue to please keep Pastor Dave in prayer. Um, he got sick this week and has not been feeling well, so let's continue to keep him in prayer that he would um, have a speedy recovery. He's obviously not here this morning due to being sick, so Pastor Joe is, is bringing forth the word, and so we're looking forward to that. Um, also, some good news. Um, Skip, uh, Skip and Donna um, Brashears are celebrating their 50th anniversary. Um, I know, well, it was in the announcements. Give, I know, well, um, the woman... <laughs> Well, it was back in, apparently, it was, if you guys don't mind me saying, it was back in March, um, but due to COVID restrictions, they weren't able to celebrate it the way you wanted to, am I correct? Are you celebrating it now? Okay, well, yeah, it was, it, it was in the announcements giving it to me. I think, I think Amos printed these up, so you can, you can blame him for that. But uh, congratulations anyway, because we didn't get to, um, you know, but we do pray that the Lord continues to bless um, your marriage and, and have many more years. But September 22nd, uh, there is a training in, for elders, deacons, ushers, greeters, and security. That's, um, yeah, September 22nd, which is actually Tuesday, and that's 6.30 to 8 p.m. Please see Dave Velkamp for more information. And even though it's specific to those groups, anybody from the church can attend that. On September 22nd, um, there, we were blessed to be able to participate in the baptism of John and um, Hannah Niemeyer. I'm not going to make you guys stand, but we are excited about that next week. Also, um, after following the service next week, college students and recent graduates are invited to Pastor Dave's home following the service for a cookout. He's just asking that um, anyone attending will bring a side or dessert to share. Everything else is going to be provided. So, and I'm sure he's going to make some of his good barbecue. But, and finally, um, oh yeah, so as a reminder, we continue to um, give our offerings as we leave in that, in that box in the back. Let's just remember we haven't been able to, to give like we usually do in the service. And so it kind of goes into the back of our minds how it's an act of worship. It really is part of the worship service. So as we give either online or in the service as we leave, let's, let's keep that in mind that we're that it's an act of worship to God and, and just, uh, a, um, a just giving back the blessings that he has given us. Um, so with all that said, if I miss anything, I'm sure um, it'll get followed up. But now let us turn our hearts and minds to a, to a call to worship. We are coming from Psalm 40, 1 through 3 and 16 and 17. And it reads, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love you, your salvation, say continually, the Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Let us pray. 
Father of mercies and, and God of all comfort, you are delivering God. You are a mighty God, a, a God who delivers us out of the pit of destruction, who helps us in the time of need, who sets us upon your shoulders, who sets us upon you, the rock of our salvation. So, Lord, as we enter into your presence this morning, some tired, some weary, some beaten down by the struggles of this life, turn our eyes towards you. Lord, may you, may you put a new song in our mouths this morning. May you put a new song in our hearts, a song of praise, a song of rejoicing, a, a gospel song. As we meditate on your character, your, your person, your righteousness, your holiness, your, your loving kindness. As we meditate on, on all that you've done and all that you continue to do, your mighty deeds, all the way from the beginning of creation to now, throughout history and in our lives, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ, sent by the Father and the power of the Spirit to redeem a people for himself. And now we are joint heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. Father, that is enough to praise you for ages. So as we continue this, this worship service that we're so blessed to be able to, to have, may we magnify your name. May we, may, as we sing, may we exalt you. May, may, you, may you be praised continuously in our mouths as we cast all our cares at your feet. And Lord, as, as others who do not know you, they, as they see us praise, as they see us worship the God who comforts us, may, they, may their eyes be open. May they turn their eyes to you and be saved. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we sing, as we worship, as we hear your word that you would put a special anointing, a special blessing on Pastor Joe this morning as he brings forth the word and the power of your spirit as he points us to your excellencies. God, we pray all these things. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now all who can, let us stand and sing, O Church Arise.
been asked this morning to uh, pray for the persecuted church around the world. While it is good for us to rejoice in the freedoms that we enjoy here in America to uh, be able to worship freely, uh, it is good for us to remember our brothers and sisters around the world who live in countries uh, where they are persecuted for proclaiming the name of Christ. Uh, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to remember and pray for those uh, for whom Christ has died our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our um, scripture for our prayer this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we gather to worship you, to thank you, to praise you for what you have done. And while we rejoice and while we are thankful for uh, the freedoms that we enjoy here in this country, this morning, oh God, we take time to remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are part of churches who are being persecuted for proclaiming the name of Christ. Whether it's the underground churches in China or, or the persecuted church in India, Father God, we pray for churches around the world where proclaiming the name of Christ may very well be a death sentence, loss of property, separation from family, and, and things of that nature, Father God. This morning, I pray for boldness for my brothers and sisters in those countries. Though the fires of persecution may burn hot, I pray that their boldness would not wane, that they will boldly proclaim the person and work of Jesus Christ and his power and his power alone to save. Father, I pray that they would not grow weary of well-doing, but that they would be filled with the strength that can only come from you, O oh God. And Father, if perhaps we can do something, whether through prayer or through our giving, or Father, even being called to go ourselves, Father God, give us a vision and a heart for the persecuted church around the world. I pray that you would fill them with joy, and a peace that surpasses all understanding, Father. That they would not consider it odd, the fiery trials that they are going through, Father God. But they would rejoice as they remember the person of work of Jesus Christ. As they remember the one who died for them, Father God. And as they proclaim that name. Father, we pray for those countries. We pray... Uh, for the leaders of those countries and those governments, we know that the heart of the king is in your hands and you turn it whichever way you desire, Father God. I pray that the posture of those governments would reverse and instead of persecuting the church, Father God, that they would uh, uplift the church, Father God, that they would stop uh, persecuting and, and pursuing your people, Father, that our brothers and sisters may be able to worship in peace, and proclaim the good news. Finally, oh God, even though we think of uh, the, the hardships that our brothers and sisters are going through, and it is heartbreaking, we rejoice because we know that it is Christ who is building his church. It's not based on uh, the persecution of, of a government or the ingenuity uh, of the people, Father God. We know that it is Christ and Christ alone who is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And it is encouraging to look that, at these countries, Father God, to see the gospel still being, being proclaimed boldly. We love you and we honor you this morning, Father God. And we rejoice for the work that you are doing, Father God. The work that we may not even see the results of until we stand before you in eternity. Until the consummation of all things and we see the fruit that has been born through the bold proclamation of the gospel in these countries. We love you, Father. We honor you and we lift up your holy name.
be with us as we continue to worship you this morning and be with our brothers and sisters around the world as they worship you on the Lord's day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at our affirmation of faith that ties right into the persecuted church and our brothers and sisters, if you will just read with me, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who is able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If you are able to rise, we'll continue with our songs of worship.
you for the fine music this morning and those wonderful prayers and scripture readings. We've had a feast already this morning. Thank God for his presence where two or three even are gathered in his name. Uh, please be seated. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize today that without you, we can do nothing. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So without you, I cannot speak the truth as it should be spoken, and your people cannot hear it as it ought to be heard. So we are not praying, though, to overcome your reluctance. We believe Little children, fear not, it is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. That you are a whole lot more able and willing to give than we are able and willing to receive. Overcome our stubbornness and our sloth, our wandering thoughts, and speak to your people this morning. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Lord willing, Pastor Dave will be all recovered, and I know you miss him being here this morning, as I do. He's a dear brother, gifted in teaching and preaching the Word of God, and we certainly miss him and pray for his recovery, and he'll be with us, Lord willing, next Sunday for these baptisms of these precious young people. Um, this morning, if you'll turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. I'll begin reading at verse 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me, or allow me, first to go bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? May God bless the reading of these, his words. Well, I've entitled my sermon this morning, With Jesus in the Storm. Taken, of course, from the passage I just read in Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 27, where the disciples 
were with Jesus in the midst of a terrible storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is uh, somewhat north of Jerusalem at the base of the Golan Heights. And I understand historically that violent storms can arise. That's not a big lake. It's only about like 10 miles across and 20 or 30 miles uh, from top to bottom. But it's not a huge lake, but it can be very treacherous. And you could certainly drown in it, as many over the centuries have, because the, the storms can happen suddenly and violently in that little bowl where the Sea of Galilee lies. This is also, this story is also recounted with only minor variations uh, by all the synoptic gospel writers. In Mark 4 you find it, and in Luke chapter 8 you find it. But I've chosen this one uh, just because it's the first one I came to. A teacher in school once asked her class of young students to please draw a picture of life. She said, whatever comes to your mind, just draw a picture of life. And as she was looking through the pictures, one little boy had written, had, uh, had drawn a picture of a terrible storm, lightning, and it was dark. And a little stick figure in a boat about to sink. <laughs> and the teacher sent him to see the school counselor. She thought, this little boy is going to need some help. But what the teacher didn't realize was that that little boy described life perfectly. Life is storms. In fact, if you back up a little bit to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in the preceding chapter, the way he ends the Sermon on the Mount is like this. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So whether you are a follower of Jesus, obeying Jesus, or whether you're a rebel, life is still going to bring its terrible storms. The storm will reveal what you built your life upon. But nobody, nobody, nobody is exempt from the storms of life. He might well have given his hearers this notice before he began that Sermon on the Mount, if I may be irreverent for a moment, as a professor might say to his class at the beginning of his lecture, students, pay attention, you will be tested on this material. When you hear the Word of God, every time the Word of God is preached or every time you read the Word of God, you should have in the back of your head, I will be tested on this material. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that's the one who dug down deep and built his house, his life on the rock. 
And it's not just knowing. There are Bible experts, there are people that study every nuance of the Greek and Hebrew text and can argue any point of theology. But Jesus said, he that hears and does them, it's practicing. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So every time we come to church or open our Bibles, we ought to think, Lord, I'm going to read this with the aim of doing it, practicing what is preached, what I read. Uh, the disciples had already decided to follow Jesus. They had listened to his teaching at Capernaum. They had listened to his sermon on the mount in Decapolis on the seashore. They had watched him heal all manner of sickness and disease among the people. There was no question in their mind about Jesus' power over sickness by this point in time. But Jesus had another lesson to teach. Isn't it interesting that Jesus always has another lesson to teach us? And until you die, you'll be learning new things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever stop being a student of Jesus. So he says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Now you could walk from where he was on the seashore at Capernaum. You could walk around to uh, Gadara. Is about maybe 20 miles by foot. And the disciples walked that far many, many times. But Jesus had a lesson to teach them in the boat. So they got into the boat, let us go to the other side. They gladly got into the boat. These were followers of Jesus. And when they got to the other side, if I may fast forward just a second, when they get to the other side of the lake, what do they run into? Legion. Jesus had demonstrated his power over sickness and disease. On the sea, he demonstrates his power over nature. And when he gets to Gadara, he's going to show his power over the devil and demons. As he says to the legion, what is your name? Please let us, have you come to torment us before the time? Please let us go into these pigs. I heard a psychologist say that what, we, what they used to think of as demonic, we now know it's psychosis or some other name we give, and they give people drugs for these things. And my response is, boy, those were sure some crazy pigs. 2,000 pigs ran into the sea screaming, as pigs will do, and drowned in the sea. They couldn't live with this, the demons that were riding them that had gone from this poor demonic man into these pigs. So let me go back to reverse now. Let's get back to the sea. A great storm arose. And you and I live in a stormy time, do we not? If you live in California today or Oregon or Colorado, it's burning, fires, burning, burning, burning. If you live on the Gulf Coast down south, you may have just lost your home in the hurricane. It seems like these things have intensified. There are riots in our cities. Trouble on every hand, political upheavals. Have you ever seen such a stink made about the death of one person as Ruth Bader Ginsburg? You can't turn on the TV without seeing some story about how she's being carried 
into Abraham's bosom in chariots of glory. But we live in a very unsettled time. People are edgy. There are trials for these United States. We're being tested. But this is nothing new in history. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Jesus is the Lord of the storms. I have a hymn here I've copied out of my old hymnal that we used to sing all the time in our church, and it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rocks and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that song. Have you heard it? Never heard it. Man, we got to get some hymn books going again. The second verse goes, it's short. As a mother stills her child, thou canst hush the ocean wild. Boisterous waves obey thy will when thou sayest to them, be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And then the last verse, and it's short too. When at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar twixt me and the promised rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, Fear not, I will pilot thee. Forgive my singing. My heart's in the right place. Life is storms. The greatest storm of all is when you're near the end of your life. For many, their spouses of many years are dead. They die. People have cancer. They go into nursing homes. The body begins to weaken various things, strokes and heart attacks. And Many people who would like to be here today but physically cannot be here because they're at the end of their journey. They're in their final storms before that promise rest. But Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He never forgets the old. I will carry you even to your hoary head, your white head will I carry you. He's ne I will never leave thee. As the original language goes, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake thee. Hallelujah. No one ever had a friend like Jesus. Most friends are fair-weather friends. When the going gets rough, they're gone. And it's not that they mean to do harm, but they just don't have the energy or the time to put up with your, your weakness. But God does. I will never know never. Even if we can't verbalize a prayer, he reads your thoughts perfectly. He knows what is in our hearts. I want to sub submit to you this morning that that storm on the Sea of Galilee was not an accidental storm. I want to read you a bit from Psalm 107, one of my favorite psalms. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the wonders of the Lord and his wonders, the works of the Lord, excuse me, and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind. 
Hey, did you hear that? He commands and raise the stormy winds, which lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm. Who made the storm a calm? He did. God made the storm, and God makes the calm. So that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they are quiet. And he bringeth them into their desired haven. Oh that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now when people read that in the Old Testament. I'm not sure they get it. And let me read a little bit about what follows it. Let them exalt him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into wilderness and water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Do these wildfires in California have no cause? I'm here to tell you this morning that the same God who made that storm on the Sea of Galilee made the hurricane and he made the fires in California. Or do you read the Psalms as poetry? Oh, that's just poetry. That's not the word of God. Jesus did not have that view of the Psalms. Every jot and tittle of the word of God must be fulfilled. If God ever did that, since God cannot change, by the way, the doctrine of his immutability is not that God doesn't change. The doctrine of immutability is that God cannot change. He's always been perfect. He never gains any new information. He's never surprised by anything that happens on earth. He, he foresaw it all. He foreplanned it all. Many Christians are like the deists who came into America after our founding, of which Thomas Jefferson was a deist, that believe God, there's a God, and he made the creation, and he wound everything up like a clock, and then he went back to heaven, and he's just watching how, we play, how it plays out. He doesn't tinker with it. Friends, that's not the Christian God. God is tinkering with everything. Let me have an amen or two. Amen. Not a bird falls to the ground, said Jesus, without your father. Not a hair falls from your head, thank God, <laughs> without your father. Were there any birds that fell in California this week in the fires? Were there any birds that fell? Did one of those birds fall without your father? No, they did not. This is the word of God. Man is a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. Deism is false. It's a heresy. 
Don't get me started on climate change. We'll be here all day and you won't, some of you won't like it. By the way, he who complains of the weather complains against God. That's, I was always a complainer. Yeah, it's cold. Now it's getting too cold. I'm so used to it being hot, it feels cold out there now. Grumble, grumble, grumble. How can God win? It's either too cold or too hot or too wet or too dry. How can God win? The Christian learns to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the fire. Thank you for the storm. Teach me what you want me to learn in this. Help me glorify you in the midst of this, whatever this storm is. COVID-19, did that originate by accident? The Chinese may be a second cause, or they may not. But I can tell you who's the first cause. The living God. R.C. Sproul used to say, if there was one loose molecule in the universe that God had no control over, we could never be sure that God could keep any of his promises. But friends, there's no such thing as a loose molecule in the universe. God has things he wanted to do. Whatever the second causes may be, God had things he wanted to do through COVID-19. One of them, I'm convinced, is the purifying of his church. He maketh all things to work together for good, does he not? Does that mean all things or some things? He maketh all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren, and on and on it goes. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad to know that God's in charge of all this stuff. What a terrible time for Ruth Bader Ginsburg to die, right in the middle of an election. But who made her die at this particular time? God. Things are not out of control in Washington, D.C. Herod made a great oration to the people. King Herod, wicked King Herod. And he was such a good orator that the people said it's the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately he was eaten of worms and died. He rotted in his, in his shoes because he did not give glory to God. He should have known better as a Jew, or at least a part Jew. He should have known better. God says, I'm not going to give my glory to somebody else. But these politicians are all in his hands. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't vote. Try to exercise, be good citizens. I don't mean that. But I mean when it's all said and done, God's will will be done. And he does things that we do not understand. He's not driving to our agenda. He's got his own agenda. And he is going to build his church. I will build my church. You can put that in the bank. Whatever else happens in the world. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. 
We're on the winning team, friends. We need to start acting like it, understanding it, being filled with holy joy that God is in charge of this mess. That, so that storm was by God's design. Now, let's consider the purpose for their storm. For these disciples, it was that they might know Jesus in a deeper way. How did they end it? When he, he arose, they woke him up. He was perfectly calm in the midst of the storm. He knew who made the storms. He knew his mission wasn't finished. He had to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified, and he must rise again the third day, and this gospel must be preached. He was not going to die in a storm so he could sleep. It was in the Father's hands. So they wake him up. Master, don't you know? We're going to die. We're all going to die. He got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was immediately a calm. They, were, they marveled, some of the other synoptic gospels say they marveled at how quickly the storm, usually when a storm is over, I was in Hurricane Donna in 1960. I only get to tell this once every two or three years, so please bear with me if you've heard it before. When I was in the Navy, our little minesweeper was 157 feet long, and it started rumbling, the clouds were rolling. We were in Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, on our little ship, minesweeper. And it started getting rough, and even in the pier, even tied to the pier, the, our little ship was starting to bounce. And the captain says, well, call special C detail, we're getting underway. And I remember saying, Captain, sir, uh, wouldn't it make more sense if there's a storm out there that we stay here? He said, oh, no, that storm will beat us to death if we stay tied to the pier. We've got to go ride it out. And for five days, we rode Hurricane Donna, a Category 5 hurricane, on that little wooden hull minesweeper. And I thought, we're going to die. We're all going to die. <laughs> the ship would roll so far that the mast, about that big around, went down through the decks all the way down to the keel. And the ship would roll so hard that you could stick your arm down in there beside the mast. And if you left it there, you'd lose your arm. Because when the ship rolled the other way, that gap would be... And I thought it was going to break off. We were lost, completely lost. We had four little ships in our division. We couldn't even see any of the other ships. Our Loran fell off, was torn off the bulkhead had no way to know where we were. There was no horizon, so you could take a sextant to try to figure out where you were. Five days we rode in the Atlantic, bouncing around, lost. Boy, were we glad to get back to Charleston. We got off the ship, and nobody could walk a straight line. Dave Veldkamp can appreciate it. We couldn't even walk a straight line on the pier. We were so used to it. felt like we were going to fall. Boy, we were glad to be at our desired haven. So I understand something of what the disciples must have felt. But their response is this. 
because of that, oh, the point I was going to make before I so rudely interrupted myself was that those storms don't suddenly get calm. You know, the worst of it goes over, and then you have the, the waves sort of gradually, 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 gradually subside. But this storm, there was a sudden calm, so that the disciples were, when Jesus said, be still, boom. That just does not happen in nature. And their response was, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, friends, you'll never ask a more question, an important question in your life than this question. What manner of man is this Jesus? That's the most important question, and everyone will have to answer it. Whether he's liar, lunatic, or a lord, you must answer the question. You can't be indifferent in the matter because it determines your eternal state. Every Christian knows Jesus as the Lamb of God. If you're a Christian, you know that he died for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him, in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the Father sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God, if you're a Christian today, you know that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We had a song in our hymn book once that said, I lay my sins on Jesus. That was the name of the song. But no, we, we didn't lay our sins on Jesus. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid on him. The Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was chastised for our sins. So we know him in that sense. Every Christian knows Jesus as the Lamb of God. And I think most Christians know Jesus as Lord. They've consciously come to a point where we've said, Lord, I don't want to run my life anymore. I almost, in fact, I did run it aground. I need you, Lord. I, I submit myself to you, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. A Christian is one who is living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, this is the pathway of blessing for me. By the way, we had a speaker at one of our Reformed Baptist uh, conferences one time, and he was a missionary to Puerto Rico, and he got up and made a, a talk about his mission, and he says, you know, God may be calling someone here today to go to Puerto Rico and preach Christ. And you may not go, but if you don't go, God will call somebody else, but what a blessing you'll miss. And something just didn't sit right with me, so after the meeting I went up, 
And I said, sir, I thank you for your good report. I'm so, I'm going to pray for your work in Puerto Rico. It's a wonderful thing you're doing. But tell me, how does that square with Jonah? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and cry against that city. And if you won't go, I'll send somebody else. <laughs> no, Jonah. You go into Nineveh, baby. God works in us to will and do of his good pleasure. But to get us to will his pleasure, sometimes he has to rough us up a little bit. Many times our first response is no. Which did the will of his father? The one who said, I won't go, and then he turned around and went? Or the one who said, I will go, and then didn't go? Which one did the will of his father? God works in us to will and do of his, but if God means for you to go to Puerto Rico, my dear friend, you are going to Puerto Rico. If God means for you to preach, Mark, you're going to preach. If I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me, there's no more miserable person on earth that knows the will of God and decides he's not going to do it. There is no more miserable person on earth than that person because you're, you're fighting with God himself. Can't win that fight. <laughs> so Christians know Jesus as lamb and Christians hopefully know Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. If you believe it with your heart, you'll live it. If you don't believe it with your heart, if it's just an intellectual thing, yeah, I guess it's so, you won't live it. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There are no secret disciples. If you're ashamed of Jesus in this world, then he'll be ashamed of you before the holy angels. One of the first things, I was afraid to come to Christ for months when I heard the gospel on the radio. And I thought, I cannot go back aboard my ship carrying a Bible after being a little big mouth. Drunk. Drunken sailor. I cannot go back aboard my ship carrying a Bible. But you know, when I was saved, I wanted the whole world to know it. And I was not ashamed. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If you really have it, you're not going to be ashamed of Jesus. But I wonder how many Christians, okay, we all know him as the Lamb of God, we all know him as the Lord, our, our Lord even, but how many understand his power over all things? I think this is where the church may be breaking down in our day. We've gotten in our holy huddles and we don't think that Jesus has a right to rule America. We don't think he has a right for all the nations to be discipled. That he's sitting at the Father's right hand. Sit at my right hand, son, till I make your enemies your footstool. 
Those early Christians believed that Jesus was Lord, and that's why they changed their world. Not just their Lord, but he was also the Lord over Rome and Greece, Parthia, Bithynia, Ephesus. Diana, your rule's over. There was a time when God winked at the ignorance of man, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He doesn't beg him to repent. God commands men to repent. Our own government needs to be subject to Jesus Christ. We need to pray and work to that end because it's false when they put the church in this little category, over, put God way over here, this has no business in the public square. No, you have no business in the public square. The early, some of the early founders, I just read the light and the glory again, believed that, which is why America got off to a right good start. Weren't perfect. Don't want to argue that point. And God sure knew how to correct them when they screwed it up. Wars and troubles and Indian uprisings and the stuff that we've gone through to try to get us to match what we claim to believe. By way of application, Jesus is not worried about the storm you're facing. In your time of stress, there's nothing wrong with calling upon him. The disciples woke him up. <laughs> They gave him no rest. It's not wrong to call on the Lord. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But the thing that was wrong was their fear, their, their inordinate fear of that storm. And what they should have been afraid of was the mighty power of God. If you're afraid of the Lord as you should be, you won't fear anything else or anyone else, not even the demons of hell. If you fear God, you won't be afraid of everything else. If your God is small, your problems are going to look huge. But when you see God as he is, the risen Christ as he is, then the storms will seem as trifling things. He is Lord over those storms. Can make them... Another point is, remember that he's in the boat with you in your storm. These disciples were not alone. He was asleep, but he was with them. Whatever happened to them would happen to him, and nothing's going to happen to him. So we're safe in the arm of Jesus. He's able to make of our troubles quickly an end. When the things he's trying to do through our troubles has accomplished its effect, and that's what I pray I, when I fell off my bike and broke my elbow in May. By the way, it's a whole lot better now. The Lord has healed me. Thank you, Jesus. Without any surgery, I can tie my tie now and touch my shoulders again. How about that? But when I fell off my bike, I thought, the Lord has surely got some purpose in this, and he has. I won't go into how I know that, but I know that he has, besides getting to witness to a few people that I would never have been able to witness to before through it. Nothing happens to you by accident. So if you're in the middle of a storm, trust in God, call upon the Lord, ask him to show you what it means, how to glorify you in the storm. And when it's finished, 
thank God when he says, peace be still. Our Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us to look into, to peer into this story of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Teach us. And I'm sure that I've missed a few things in here, but I pray that you'll, whatever is lacking in my preaching, you'll make known to your people as they read your word day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Storm. Wow. We are in this storm together as a community of believers. And as a community of believers, we worship together. We remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for us. And in that, we take of the elements together as an act of worship. I know that many of us missed it for quite a few weeks, months, and now we're back to doing it together again. We take of these elements remembering that his body was broken on our behalf. It was pierced. His blood was shed that we might be forgiven. It says that uh, the Lord became sin on our behalf even. What words? In other words, all the, all the people of the past, the present, and all the future, even ours today, all those sins were laid upon the sinless one all at once. And the Bible calls at him becoming sin. What a drastic phrase. So as we see this nice, clean, wooden cross up here, when Christ was upon it, it wasn't, didn't look like that. And it didn't look like that after he left it and went to the tomb and rose again. That cross was a mess because he poured himself out for us that we might be with him for eternity. And these young people next week who are going to be baptized, they do so as a sign of an inward work. Jesus did an inward work in them to change them. And they're going to proclaim to us the outward symbol of what he's done inside. So with those things in mind and our salvation from the storm, may we take of these elements together. First of all, let's take the bread. Of course, you've got to be careful with this thing. Doesn't matter what it tastes like. It's a symbol of the bread. His body was broken on our behalf. Let's take of it together. And let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your only son to die on the cross of Calvary in our place. His body broken on our behalf. By his stripes, our sins were healed forever. And we thank you. Now as we take the cup, let's remember that that blood, that perfect lamb, Jesus, his blood was shed on our behalf. And as we partake of it together, we proclaim to the whole world of his greatness in saving us. Let's take, partake together. Let's pray again. Can't pray enough. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the bread, the body. And for this day, may we 
set our minds and our hearts to follow you, to worship you in righteousness. No matter what kind of sin goes on around us, may we be beacons of light because of your righteousness shining through us that you've imputed. Glory, glory, glory be unto your name, O God. Now, folks, if you're able, please rise and continue to worship in song with us with our closing song.